Welcome, and thank you for viewing our weekly sermon. I'm Pastor Malone, and I pray this message be a blessing to you and help you grow closer to Jesus. If you'd like to know more about having a personal relationship with Jesus or to connect with us as a church, please visit westacres.org. Thanks again, and God bless. So glad to be here this morning. I'm so glad that you're here. I want to invite you to turn your Bibles with me to the book of Acts. Uh, that's in the New Testament. Uh, the book of Acts, we're going to be in chapter 3 today. And if you don't have a Bible, I do want to encourage you to use one of our pew Bibles to follow along. If you don't have a Bible at all, I want to let you know that is our gift to you today. Uh, take that Bible home with you. It will change your life. You've got to read it, uh, but it will change your life. But once you've found your place, stand with me as we show respect to God's Word, um, the reading of God's Word. That's in Acts chapter 3. We're going to be looking at the first 10 verses. It says in verse 1, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold. But what I do have to give to you, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat down at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for working in the life of this man at the temple that day. And Lord, as he was a testimony to the people in his lifetime, as he was a testimony to the people that were present to see this happen that day, Lord, he's a testimony today to us over 2,000 years later. Father, thank you for, Lord, being a miracle worker. We thank you for being a healer. That's why we call out to you in prayer. That's why we trust in you in everything. But Father, we thank you for the greatest miracle. That is the miracle of salvation. Lord, for all those who are saved in this room today, we are all walking miracles. And Lord, if there's anyone here today that is not saved, Lord, if they are lame and broken because of sin, Lord, I pray that you will bring complete healing to them today through salvation in your son Jesus. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit be the preacher today. Open our eyes to your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you're taking notes, the title of the t today's sermon is Lame to Leaping. 
lame to leaping. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10 is one of the first miracles we see in the book of Acts after a great miracle in itself, the day of Pentecost. And this healing of the lame beggar is an example of what is said about the apostles in chapter 2 of Acts, verse 43. That they did many wonders and signs. These were being done by the hands of the apostles. Not just anybody, but Jesus' apostles. Uh, those who d- did life with him. Those who served with him. Those that were witnesses of his erex- resurrection. Those who were called out by name to be his apostles. But one thing I want us to notice is that this miracle, that this event does not stand alone. Yes, this is an awesome work of God, but we do not come to this passage and leave it isolated. Because what takes place here in chapter 3 is going to set up the rest of chapter 3 and even chapter 4. And we are to read it with the context of the entire book of Acts. This miracle is ultimately going to bring attention to God's Word. This miracle sets up Peter's sermon Verses 11 through 26. The miracle was done and it gathers this great crowd just like it did on the day of Pentecost. And we read about that a few weeks earlier. uh, That the Holy Spirit came into the upper room making a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Then all the the followers of Christ uh, went outside that room speaking in different languages. And what did that do? A, A crowd gathered in wonder, amazement, saying, what does all this mean? But that wonder and amazement was not left alone. It was followed by the preaching of God's Word. This miracle sets up God's Word to be preached. In fact, as we get through this sermon, uh, Lord willing, next week, we're going to see that this man who was healed is a sermon illustration in Peter's sermon. And if you read ahead to chapter 4, you're going to see that this healing, this man's life that was transformed... Because of Christ, the power of Christ, is going to play a part in seeing thousands of others coming to faith in Christ. This miracle serves a, mir- it serves a purpose. This is the purpose of this miracle, and this is the purpose of all miracles. It is a sign that points people to Jesus. It points people to Jesus. Our verses today can be separated into four sections. The place, the person, the power, and the praise. Let's begin by looking at the place in verses 1 through 2. Let's read those verses. It says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man was being carried there, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate. So who is walking to the temple at this time? It is the apostles, Peter and John. Uh, we know that they are apostles of Christ. Uh, we know that they, were, uh, they knew each other before they became followers of Christ. In the Gospels, that these two were in business with one another, in the fishing business. Uh, they, along with James, John's brother, made up the inner circle of Jesus' 12 disciples. They were in the inner three. They got to experience uh, so many more impactful experiences because of their position being in the inner three. It's also worth noting that it was only Peter and John that followed Jesus into the high priest's house, courtyard, on the night of his arrest. And on resurrection morning, 
Uh, who was it that was running to the empty tomb? Peter and John. And scripture is so funny. It says they were racing one another. And John's even so funny to let us know that he won the race. That he got there first. In verse 1, these two men are headed to the temple to pray. From this, I want to stop here and say this. The early church, its foundation was laid on prayer. We're seeing so many wonderful things happening in the book of Acts. And if you look at a common denominator, it is prayer. Prayer. The early church was on fire for God because it was hot in prayer. Moreover, this awesome miracle, this awesome work that's taking place happens because two men are headed to a prayer meeting. The text says it was the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. This would be three in the afternoon. This hour of prayer was one of three hours of prayer. If you remember earlier in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit came down that first hour. That was 9 a.m. in the morning. And Peter said, listen, these guys can't be drunk. It's only 9 a.m. Uh, that, that can't be. The other hour of prayer took place at noon. At noon. The ninth hour was also the time for the evening sacrifice. Uh, so what we know from this is that this takes place at the temple. The time that is taking place is an hour of prayer. It's also the time for the evening sacrifice. So what does that mean? This means there was heavy foot traffic in and out of the temple at this time. There were thousands of people making their way to the temple at this hour. Folks, this would be an ideal place for a beggar. This would be an ideal place uh, maybe some of you are familiar with certain exits that you get off here in the CSRA. There are certain times of day that it's good to be a panhandler. There's certain places it's good to be a beggar. This was a great place for this beggar to be. A very religious place. A place that people were coming to bring an offering. And we also learned that this miracle took place at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate. What is the beautiful gate? Uh, commentators mostly identify... Excuse me. Some of y'all were sleeping. That's why the Lord did that. Okay? You up? All right. Make sure that doesn't happen again. The beautiful gate. The beautiful gate. Commentators mostly identify this as the Nicanor Gate, which was the main eastern entrance to the temple precincts from the court of the Gentiles. Because Luke names it the beautiful gate, it is probably the one that was made of Corinthian brass, which the church historian Josephus said greatly excelled those others that were covered only with silver and gold. Another thing to know about this beautiful gate is it was massive. It was massive. Historians say it took nearly 20 men to open and close this gate. So I want you to get this picture in your minds. Uh, the temple is a time right now. Heavy foot traffic is going in and out. Think of a Braves game. Think of a place where there are thousands of people going all in at once. That is what this site looks like at this time. And it's not only taking place just at the temple, but it's taking place at one of the beautiful places outside the temple. The beautiful gate. So that's the place. Now, let's look at number two, the person. The person. Verses 2 through 3. And a lame man, and a man lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. The person is the lame beggar. 
Luke, who we also know was a physician, he points out this medical handicap that is taking place from this man. He wasn't just a lame man, a cripple, a handicap. He was born this way. He was not injured. He, he did not live his life and lose the ability to walk later in life. It says he was this way from his mother's womb. The text also says he was being carried. How do you think a lame man is going to get to the temple? They didn't have mopeds. They didn't have golf carts. They didn't have electronic wheelchairs. Someone had to carry this man. This means that this man was being carried daily to and from the temple. It says this took place daily. This was his routine. This was his life. And think about this, folks. Somebody had to carry him. Someone had to carry him. So this means one of two things. He had some really good friends. He still had some good family that were saying, okay, it's time to take you to the temple. Or he most likely had to pay somebody to take him to the temple. This was his livelihood. This was his job. Yes, this was his job, being a beggar. Think about that for a moment. For the past 20 or so years. I say that because we learn later on how old this man is. In chapter 4, we're going to learn that he's over 40 years old. That's all the Bible tells us. But let's just say he's 41 years old. And ever since he's been out on his own, probably since a late teenager to his 20s, this means he is being carried to the temple every day for the past 20 years. What a life that must have been. He was helpless. He was hopeless. This man was not only a beggar, but he depended on others to put him in a place to beg. Think of that for a moment. His activity at the temple was asking for alms, money, and this was the best place to do it. He was located in the best place at the best time. Uh, we see in Scripture, uh, some of the, the beggars in Scripture, they would locate in one of two places. The temple, on the way to the temple, or we know about Lazarus. Remember him? Oh, poor Lazarus. Where did he hang out? Outside the rich man's house. Uh, this was a place that they could count on receiving money. Uh, Jewish rabbis taught that there were three pillars for the Jewish faith. The Torah, that being God's word. Worship, and the showing of kindness or charity. Almsgiving was the, one of the main ways to show kindness and was thus considered a major expression of one's devotion to God. This was this man's life, day in and day out. Couldn't walk, had to be carried to the temple, and had to ask for money. He had to ask. In verse 3, we see that Peter and John are making their way. And it says first that this man saw them. And it said he... I asked to them, asked alms for Peter and John. This was nothing new for this man. He, he wasn't just holding up a cardboard sign. They didn't have that back then. He wasn't just holding that up. His daily routine was asking, asking, asking. Do you have anything to spare? Do you have anything to give? God bless you. Please, please give, give. This was nothing new for this man. He probably asked this hundreds of times in his daily routine. Notice what he's asking for. He's asking for healing. He's asking for a new life. Hey, he's asking for uh, something grander 
No, he's simply asking for money. This man has no idea what is about to come his way. He's asking for money, but God has something way better in store for him. This leads us to our third point, the power. The power, that's the miracle itself. After he calls out to Peter and John, the text says Peter and John began to gaze at him. That word for gaze, that's the same word we see earlier in the book of Acts when the apostles saw Jesus Christ ascending to heaven, saying they were just gazing intently. The same gazing that took place watching Jesus going to heaven is the same gazing that's taking place watching this beggar. Watching this beggar. Which makes me think of this. Peter and John were leaders of the greatest movement in history. They were leaders. They were at the forefront of the greatest revival in history. I was very fortunate to go see the movie Jesus Revolution this past weekend. And let me tell you, it's a great movie. Go to the theaters and see that movie. But let me remind you that this Jesus Revolution in, the, in the America was not the first Jesus Revolution. The first Jesus revolution took place in the book of Acts, and it was a revolution. Peter had just preached to thousands of people. Peter, John, whoever else was involved, they were involved in seeing thousands of people baptized. Think of how big their heads could have been. Think of how egotistical they could have been, being a part of something so great. But here I want to point out this. These men were never too busy. They were never too big to care for one person. Peter had just preached to thousands of people. Had just been a part of thousands of baptisms. He could have easily said, I ain't got time for that. I'm too good for this. God's got other things in store for me. No. He was sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Because I don't think that gaze could have come from any other place than the Holy Spirit. Making them focus on this man. There were probably dozens, if not hundreds, of beggars located around the temple that day. But the Holy Spirit of God led Peter and John to focus on this one. And church, I just want to remind you, and I want to encourage you, that if you want to reach the masses for Christ, you've got to start with one person at a time. This should be an encouragement as we go after our one. Some of you are probably just joining us for the first time. What is he talking about? Well, we've been challenging our people here at West Acres to go after one person for Christ. We have this display over here. It's called Hoosier One. All these little ping pong balls have a person's name on it. Those, those people are lost. Some of them aren't anymore. Some of them have been baptized. But we've challenged our folks to go after one person for Jesus inviting that person to church, sharing your testimony with that person, praying for that person on a daily basis, being explicit and sharing the story of Jesus with that person. Let this be an encouragement to you. Because later on in this, in this story, this one man is going to play a part in seeing thousands of other people come to Christ he is going to be at the center stage. He's going to be the sermon illustration. Because of him, thousands are going to come to faith in Jesus. So I remind you, Peter, he, he's in this same boat. His brother Andrew went after one. Peter was Andrew's one. What did Peter do? He preached on the day of Pentecost. Thousands of people came to faith. Peter is returning the favor. He's going after one person. Peter and John's one is going to touch thousands. 
So I want you to think about the name that you have written on that ping pong ball. Some of you probably like, well, I didn't do the ping pong ball, Baxter. I can't say that again. Um, <laughs> but you know who that person in your life is that you're praying for, that you're wanting God to come into their life and to save them. What does God have in store for your one? What does he have in store for your one? Are you the missing link keeping that one person from doing awesome things for the kingdom of God? Many times we say, God, well, what are you waiting on? But I believe God is simply saying, no, what are you waiting on? What are you waiting on? This man sees Peter and John staring at him. Think about that as a beggar. That's good news. That's good news as a beggar. Some of y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about. When you, you get down the road and there's somebody on the side of the street needing something, what do you do? I didn't see them. I'm not looking. I know they're staring right at me, but I'm not looking back. This is good news for a beggar. Because if you're going to look at them, that, that, that means there's probably an opportunity that you are about to do something to help this person. You don't usually stare at a person in need if you don't plan on helping them. Just as this man is expecting some coins, though, he's probably thinking, wow, they're, they're about to, to bless me. They're about to take care of me. Peter just flat out tells him, I don't have silver or gold. I have no silver or gold, brother. You can imagine the disappointment. You can imagine the frustration. You can imagine what this man is saying. Well, you, are you serious? What are you doing here? Don't waste my time. Peter wasn't wasting his time. And Peter doesn't waste any time in saying this. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He says, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, that is the power behind this miracle. Jesus is the power behind this miracle. Later on, uh, they're going to be before the, the Jew, Jewish leaders and council, and the Jewish leaders and council are going to say, goodness gracious, I thought we took care of that Jesus problem. Uh, no, they were mistaken. They didn't take care of the Jesus problem uh, because he's still here. He is alive. These men are doing the same works that their Lord and Savior had done during his earthly ministry but Jesus Christ of Nazareth was the common designation of our Lord during his earthly ministry. It describes him as Jesus, the Messiah from Nazareth. And to do something in Jesus' name was to act in line with his will, but was also to act in his authority. Peter didn't have power. Peter didn't have any authority. All of his power, all of his authority came behind the name he was using. The name of Jesus. When Jesus was on this earth doing miracles, he didn't have to say anybody's name because he had all the power. He had all the authority. But here, Peter knows the source of the power. Notice how he says, not only rise up and walk, not only commands this man to rise up and walk, but it says he took the man by the right hand and picked him up. You can imagine what this man is going through just in this, this short, very short period of time. He just told me to rise up and walk. He starts feeling things he's never felt before. He starts moving his toes like he's never moved them before. He starts feeling his, his pants or his robe, whatever, getting tighter. He starts feeling all these different things. And Peter grabs him by the right hand and raises him up. I love how one commentator says this, it was the power of Christ that healed this man. 
but it was the hand of Peter that helped him get up. That's a beautiful picture. It's at this point, folks, we see the miracle unfold. Let me point out a few things about this miracle. First, it was not expected. This man did not ask to be healed. This man was asking for money. He was asking for a handout. This lets us know one thing, and I know there's so many misconceptions and so much confusion when it comes to the Bible and healing. Let me tell you this. This was not a faith healing. This was not a faith healing. This man did not come to a meeting to be healed. Moreover, this man didn't even pray to be healed. He was perfectly content sitting by the gate asking for money. This lets us know one thing. God is sovereign over this healing. And I'm so grateful of what our students were studying this past week, a theology of suffering. I'm so glad we had that message before this message. Because you might be asking yourself, well, isn't it God's will for me to be healed? Yes, one day in glory, but also even for some today. But it's also His will for us to suffer. It's also His will for us to go through suffering in this life. He tells us that. I heard J.D. Greer say this, God calls some of us to get well. He calls others of us to suffer well. God is sovereign over healing. Does that mean I'm not supposed to pray for healing, Pastor? You better be praying for healing because he's the one who's able to do it. And I believe in the power of prayer. I believe God is still in the healing business. But I want to be very clear. This man wasn't asking for it, and it wasn't dependent on anything of his faith. He was simply there asking for money. The second thing we learn is this. It was immediate Immediately his feet and ankles were made and strong. This miracle was not gradual. This miracle didn't just say, rise up and walk. And Peter's just like, let's give it a little bit. No, he says, rise up and walk. And it happens immediately. It didn't take days. It didn't take weeks. He didn't say, go uh, wash in this, drink this, stretch it out a little bit. No, it happened immediately. The fact that this man was born lame lets us know, just picture this, someone that's been a, a, a paralytic for just half of their life. Someone that, that's suffering that can't walk. Picture what his legs would have looked like. They were probably skinny to the bone. He had no muscle. His feet and ankles were probably disfigured. It said he was born that way. But as soon as Peter says, rise up and walk, he says he got up immediately. Immediately. Just picture what that visual looked like with his legs as they were becoming new, being filled with muscle, being filled with all the things your legs are supposed to have. I didn't study anatomy, okay? But, but just picture that. This miracle was not just felt. It was seen. His legs were probably like balloons, just being filled with air. They'd never been used. Think about this, folks. He was not only healed immediately, he started walking immediately. He leaped up and started walking immediately. He, did, he didn't spend some weeks at the rehab center. Peter wasn't saying, whoa, brother, let's just let's take it slow. Let's just, whoa, one step at a time. Whoa, whoa, whoa. He wasn't suffering with imbalance or having to learn coordination. All of this happened immediately. Immediately. Think of how wonderful and how awesome that is. There was no stumbling. There was no disorientation. It was all immediate. 
So it was an immediate healing. And I love this one. It was a complete healing. A complete healing. God did not bring a partial healing. If you're like me, I would have just been amazed if he could have stood up and walked with a limp. I would have been amazed if he could have just walked with crutches. I would have been like, praise the Lord. Look at what God has done in this man's life. But can I tell you this? In all the miracles that Jesus was involved in, he never did a partial job. He did the full job. He did the full job. This man didn't go from lame to limping. He went from lame to leaping. Lame to leaping. This 41-year-old man was using his legs to the fullest. He was standing. He was walking. He was jumping. Folks, I can only imagine just tears that are just running down this man's face as he is experiencing all the joy of what God's done in his life at this very moment. Just a beautiful picture. In the Bible, the miracles of Jesus were always immediate and complete. And folks, can I tell you this? We have a miracle. It's called salvation. It's immediate and it's complete. When Jesus saves a person, it's not gradual. I know some of y'all feel that way with the loved ones you bring. They, they kind of saved. I'm getting them there. They kind of saved. No, you either not saved or you are saved. You're not kind of saved. It's either you're not saved or you are totally saved. So it's not just partial, but it's also immediate. As soon as a person calls to Christ for salvation, as soon as God opens a person's heart for their need for Jesus, and that person comes to Jesus, their salvation is immediate. It is immediate. It's just in a microsecond. It's not something you have to keep coming to church for just to get a little more saved and a little more saved. No, you come to church because you are saved. So it was immediate but it was also complete, complete, complete. Jesus saves us completely. When I got saved, I wasn't kind of saved. I was completely saved. And when Jesus died on that cross for my sins, he didn't just die for some of my sins. He died for all my sins. I'm always moved by the beautiful lyrics to the song, It Is Well. It is well. They sing like this. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. Dear person that's sitting here today thinking that Jesus saved just some of your sin, but not this sin or that sin, let me tell you, he saved you from all your sin. Quit walking with it. Quit being dragged. Quit being condemned by the devil. He saved you from all of it. Not just part of it, but all of it. I don't know who needs to hear that today, but he saved you from everything. Quit living in defeat. Quit living in guilt. You are saved completely. Completely. Praise the Lord. He saved all of you. 
He died for all your sins. Amen. After this powerful miracle takes place, what happens next is very natural. When God does a work in your life, the most natural thing to happen is praise. Praise. Look at our first, fourth point with us. That's the praise we see in verses 8 through 10. And leaping up. <laughs> Anybody jumping this morning during worship? This guy's jumping. Jumping like he's trying on some Jordans. It, leaping up. He stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Folks, if you read this too fast, don't miss this wonderful, wonderful truth. This man enters the temple with Peter and John. This man enters the temple with Peter and John. All his life, he'd been carried daily to the temple. To sit outside of it. All his life he'd been sitting outside that temple asking for alms. Watching people come in. Watching people go out. He couldn't go in the temple. For practical reasons. One, he couldn't walk. But also a theological reason. It was Levitical law. Someone that was crippled. Someone that was handicapped could not enter the temple. But now this man could. Now this man could walk in the temple. Now this man could worship God within the temple. This is a beautiful picture of what happens when a person gets saved. As sinners, we are just like this man. We were separated. As sinners, we were the ones sitting at the gate. But because of Christ, because of Christ, we're no longer separated from God. But because of what Christ did for us on the cross, we can have perfect and precious communion with God. This man was able to enter the temple for the very first time. He was finally allowed to worship in the temple. And folks, he was praising God at his fullest. He was leaping with joy. He was leaping with thanks. He was leaping with praise. There were thousands of people coming to the temple that day, bringing sacrifices, coming to pray. But I tell you, the purest form of worship was taking place in the life of this man who was leaping with praise for God. And it wasn't just personal. Everybody around saw it. Everybody around saw it. Look at me in verses 9 through 10. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. You know, historians don't know why this gate was called beautiful. Luke is the first person in all the Bible to call it the beautiful gate. I believe it's called the beautiful gate. I believe Luke calls it the beautiful gate because something beautiful took place there that day. What happened to that man was a beautiful thing. And he was filled with praise and all the people recognized him. They said, that's that guy. I just gave him some money. They probably thought he was joking. There's that guy. That's the guy that always sits at the beautiful gate every single day. There, there's him. What did they see him doing? 
They saw him walking and praising God. And they were filled with wonder and amazement. This is a beautiful story. Can I tell you this? It's a true story. This isn't an allegory. The preacher hasn't been talking about a parable today. I've been talking about a very true story today. I can't wait to meet this guy one day. He's got an awesome story. You know what's beautiful? I didn't, I didn't share this on the screen. But look at verse 11. It's not on the screens. He's inside that temple. What is he doing to Peter and John? It says he's clinging to them. He is so grateful for what these men have done. He's so grateful of what God has done through them. He's clinging to them like a baby. So grateful. He, guess what? He's going to be clinging to Peter the whole time Peter's preaching. Just get that picture in your minds for next week. This is not an allegory. This is not a parable. But this man's story gives us a beautiful picture of salvation. Folks, every single person in this room today was a sinner. Every single person in this room today is a sinner. And because of our sin, we were broken. Because of our sin, we were lame. Because of our sin, we were beggars. And because of our sin, we were separated from Almighty, all-holy God. But because of Jesus, because of Jesus, we have perfect communion with God. And because of Jesus, for those who are saved, we can be full of praise. So I want to say this today to everyone here that has been saved. You are a walking miracle, just like this man. This man was a literal walking miracle. But if you're saved here today, you are a walking miracle. And folks, if you aren't saved today, if you came to this place lame, if someone carried you here, if you came here broken by sin, I want to tell you this, you can leave here leaping today. Will you bow your heads with me?